This podcast is part of the Power of Podcasting Network. Find it at powerofpodcasting.com. Today on episode number 669, I had someone do a pre-interview of me and I was like, hey, that seems pretty cool. So we're going to peel back the onion on why would you do a pre-interview and then how do you do a pre-interview? Here's a quick sample from that. Radio is the ultimate visual medium. Hit it, ladies. The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005, I am your award-winning Hall of Fame podcast coach, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. If you're new to the show, this is why I help you massage your message. I help you tackle that technology, face your fears, and flatten the learning curve and get you going in the right direction when you start your podcast. My website is schoolofpodcasting.com. Use the coupon code LISTENER, that's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, when you sign up for either a monthly or yearly subscription, or you can purchase the classes a la carte. And we have a lot of things going on right now with superheroes. And if I was going to be a superhero, I'd want to be known as Captain Content. That's kind of what I preach here. It's all about the content. It's all about your audience. It's not about the tech. It's all about your audience. It's all about the content. And so next week, I've been talking about this a lot. I want to do what I sometimes affectionately refer to as a mega episode. And that is I get a lot, a lot of questions about interviews. And I've been putting off doing the mega episode because I wanted to talk to today's guest who was one of two people. I actually did a little research today and I've appeared on, I believe it's 68 different podcasts that I can remember. I've been doing this for 14 years, but the ones I have, and this is through podchaser.com. It's actually kind of a cool little site. And it went out and found all the places I had been mentioned and it's kind of interesting. So at least 68 different interviews that I have been on other people's show. And of course, I've interviewed quite a few people on my show. And in all of those different years, different people, different hosts, me being a guest, things like that, I've only been what is called pre-interviewed twice, twice out of all those interviews. And so there's a new show in town for podcast. It's called Fast Lane Podcast University. It's in the middle of a soft launch, and I try to catch every podcast about podcasting, and there are a lot of them, and I'm going to mention that towards the end of the show today. And I found Kent is the host of this, who's got a radio background, and he only had a few episodes out, and they all made me think Remember, for me, I love it when you make me laugh, cry, think, groan, educate, or entertain. And he made me think. I went, hmm, you know what? That's a better way of saying that. And hmm, maybe I should do this or hmm. And so I brought him on because he asked me to be on his show. And he said, yeah, when can we set up a pre-interview? And I was like, well, this is new. Because for me, I kind of do the pre-interview right before the interview, like I will email somebody and say, hey, I really liked the way you did blank on blank, and I would like to have you come on the show and talk about blank. And so when I had Kent on, I purposely told him, hey, when you come on, the minute you jump on Squadcast, we're going to be recording. 
And so this is typically what my pre-interview sounds like. Obviously, your website's Fastlane. I'm sorry. Yeah, FastlanePodcastUniversity.com. Is there anything else we want to plug? No, that's that's pretty much it. If I go Fastlane, and just the letter U for short, I've got to redirect on that. So I just always give out Fastlane Podcast U, the letter U, FastlanePodcastU.com. Uh-huh. Just a little shorter, but... You're you're talking to a bunch of podcasters, so you can get as as nerdy as you want and go in in deep in the weeds uh, as you want. We're all looking for kind of strategies, and uh, I definitely want to talk about like when you're doing a pre-interview, what are you listening for, mm-hmm. and what makes you go, aha, there's one, and that one, and that whole nine yards. And then the other thing I thought we'd get into is just kind of what led you to podcasting. I know you've been. Uh, because your bio says you're a radio host, a writer, a producer, and a journalist. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, so we can kind of get into to that a little bit. Like, do you consider yourself more a journalist or more of a radio host? Or is it all of the above or that whole nine yards? And then you jumped in podcasting in 2013. So did you have another podcast before this one? No, I've worked with, I work with a news organ, which I still work with as a journalist. They, and that's kind of the interesting thing is I came into podcasting involuntarily to some extent. To some okay. Extent. Because I, I was working with this radio show, it was on hundreds of stations, nationally syndicated. And at a certain point, they just started doing the math on everything, and they just said, "You know, we don't think it's worthwhile for us to be on all these stations anymore. We're just going to go online." Anyway, so okay, well, that's really that's kind of where we're headed. Is just into, and then unfortunately, I just got I I just checked my email because I I do a live call in show in the morning, and then I run down and eat lunch and give up. Like, oh crap, is that just going to kind of naturally come out? as you talk about stories or should there be something for me to set that up or? Yeah. Well, so, and, and this is, this is your interview, your deal. I, I just made some, some notes here and, and I'll, I'll go with wherever you're going with it, but just, you know, kind of the, the points that I'd written down to share as, as you, as you ask or want them was, you remember what, when, when pre-interviews are appropriate, when they're not. So that's something we can, we can talk about. They don't work for all types of interviews. What your, what your goal is. Depending on the type of interview, you may have a little bit of a different goal for your pre-interview. How you find great stories, how do you how do you draw those out? Then also just share some stories and examples of great stories that I found through pre-interview questions. So, did you start off as a radio host, or what? Were you first a producer, or yeah, I was I was a DJ. I was I started off as a you know just a evening DJ at a radio station, and then wound up okay. doing everything there was to do there, and beautiful moved on and producing and stuff. The, uh, All right. National level. What I'll do is I'll, I'll kick off a, a quick intro here and then I will say thanks for coming on the show. And you can say something like, bite me, Dave, you're forcing me to do this or whatever. You know, most people say thanks for having me, whatever you want to do. Sure. Uh, yeah. And then we'll just get into I'll probably just start off with you got into, uh, you know, you, you started off as a DJ. When did you know you wanted to be a G- DJ? And then we'll just kind of go briefly through your history and then we'll get into the whole a pre-interview kind of thing and, and we'll, we'll go from there. So sound like a plan. Sounds good. All right. All right. So the cool thing about this, number one, Kent is prepared and you'll hear in the interview with Kent coming up in just a second here, how he is prepared to work with me to create the best episode on this subject. He's ready to collaborate, to sit side by side and go, hey, here's what I'm bringing. I'm going to follow you, but here's some places we could go. And you'll see that is kind of his mentality on why you do a pre-interview. And if you're wondering why was I asking him so many kind of like basic 
Kent 101, there's not much of a bio. And when I went to kind of do some research on him so I could come up with really good questions, there's very little. And the other thing that's kind of funny about this is Kent Covington is also some guy that was some sort of like criminal. So I kept coming up with the wrong one. And so that part, I tried to come up with what's his background, what can I dig into, so I could, again, understand what stories to focus on. And so what this means then, do you have to do a pre-interview? We'll actually talk about that. But since there really wasn't a lot for me to dig into, that just meant we did a somewhat longer interview and I just did editing where things were stuff that I was like, oh, let's talk about this. And it's like, oh, that's not really going to fit in here. So anyway, you've heard how I did my kind of pre-interview, and I will definitely be changing this in the future. Let's bring Kent in again. You can find him at FastLanePodcastU.com to talk about doing pre-interviews. Well, joining me, I was on his podcast. You can find it at FastLanePodcastU, as in like the letter U, dot com. And he had me do this thing called a pre-interview. And I've heard of these things. I've heard people mention them. And he was the first one that actually, I shouldn't say first, uh, Jordan Harbinger, who's another guy that does great interviews, had me do one. I didn't know I was doing it until I was in the middle of it. When I started asking him a question, he goes, wait, 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 this is a pre-interview. And I love the way you asked all these questions to kind of figure out how to have the best interview of Dave Jackson. So I said, well, that's really cool. I get a lot of questions about interviews. And I said, well, I got to have Kent Covington come on and explain what goes through your head when you do a pre-interview. So Kent, thanks so much for coming on the show. You bet. A lot of people ask me what's what was going through your head. That's a common question I get, usually, usually from my mom. <laughs> well, you started off many moons ago as a as a DJ. When did you know you wanted to be in radio? Well, it was, you know, something I, I, I always thought seemed kind of cool, but actually I sort of stumbled into it by chance or providence. I was uh, actually waiting tables at a pizza hut when I was uh, 18 years old. And a guy who was a program director for a radio station came in with his kids uh, and his wife. And uh, we just started talking and chatting. There's nobody else there. So we were just chatting. And eventually he said, oh, hey, if you ever want to come by the radio station, just check it out. Just come on by. And I thought, well, yeah, sure. That sounds cool. And then he wound up offering me, he said, well, if you ever want to learn some of this stuff, you want to intern. I said, sure. And that, that turned into uh, an evening shift and wound up doing everything that there was to do at the radio station. And it turned into a career in radio. But yeah, it was born in Pizza Hut. That is like the best story ever. Now, along the years, what what year was that when you started? It was 90, uh, 96. Uh, along the years, then you start off as a DJ and I was looking at your your bio. You've been a writer, a producer and a journalist. How did you start in one place and what led to what led to what led to what? Yeah, well, radio, you know, I, I always thought coming up, I thought, man, these guys on the radio, he must make a whole bunch of money. And uh, turns out that's not the case. <laughs> and uh, As I had a kid and another kid on the way and we're, you know, trying to pay the bills and everything like that. And I'm working at a, you know, not, not a it's not a huge town or huge radio station at the time. And just started looking for, you know, frankly, just a better paying sure. uh, job. And uh, one of those was uh, as a producer for a uh, nationally syndicated financial talk show is based in. Georgia. So I uh, took that, but I had done some side work and a lot of production work there where I was producing spots and creative things and other things. So I, you know, I had that experience there, submitted the resume. They liked the stuff and I had done, uh, you know, some comedy bits for another nationally syndicated radio show. So that turned into that job and 
got into uh, writing and, and producing at the national level and, and doing some of that. And then um, about uh, six years ago, turned into uh, into the journalism, broadcast journalism space and have been doing that ever since. When you say I was a producer for, you know, a financial show, like what do you do when you're a producer? Yeah. So what I was doing was editing because it's kind of interesting. All right. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this because there are a lot of possibilities for podcasters in terms of the types of shows that you're going to do, including a call-in show, by the way. Because most people that were pre-recorded, we can't do like a, a listener call-in show. Well, when I went to work, the radio show was called Money Wise, or excuse me, uh, Money Matters, later became Money Wise. Money Matters, they were, it had been a live call, nationally syndicated call-in show, but they changed it. They said, we're going to go pre-recorded. And so they basically just set up a phone line and they had people call that phone line anytime, day or night, and just give their question. Then they would call that person back. They would listen to the questions when they heard the ones that they wanted to use, they would call that person back and schedule them for the recording time. Then they would have those people call in as they were recording the show. And the whole thing sounded like it was live, but it wasn't. So then obviously there's the uh, an editing process after that, since it's not live, unless you're going to go strictly live to tape, which we didn't. So there was the editing afterwards, which is what, which is what I worked on. So it was audio editing. And then at the same time, I also did writing and production of some comedy features, just sort of little short features that would give a financial lesson or something that we sent out to radio stations. And I wrote and, and produced those as well. So that was my job there. And because we have a bunch of editors, I have to ask, what were, what's your uh, software of choice when you're editing? Adobe Audition. I go all the way back to Cool Edit days before it was Adobe. Yeah. That, that's a badge of honor right there. There's DJ and then there's journalists. So we obviously, you know, one one person's in the the booth. Journalism for you meant what? Yeah, I mean, I, so I transitioned with World News Group and started, became a journalist there. Some people who I'd worked with at a prior workplace you know, knew me and just asked me to to just do a feature on some politics and some other stuff, which I put together and they really liked it. And is that kind of where you first got into, like you just said, not just the facts, but now I've got to make this engaging. I've got to make it a story. Like, how do I find the story in this? How did you learn all that? Actually, along the way, you know, along this path and this journey, at some point I got into radio advertising and I found that I loved it. I also had a kind of on the side, I had a carpet cleaning business years ago as well. And I, I was trying to make ends meet there working in radio, not making a bunch of money. And I was trying to learn about marketing, getting customers and all that kind of stuff. So I, I knew I had a, an interest in marketing and I was in radio and I really started studying radio advertising. And I started studying a couple guys, Dan O'Day, who's a, a radio expert who wrote the um, commercial copywriting course for the Radio Advertising Bureau. And then another guy named Roy H. Williams, who wrote a, a series of books called The Wizard of Ads. And he's a radio guy. And one of the things that Roy talked about all the time was thinking, and this is something that uh, the great Paul Harvey used to say all the time too, radio is the ultimate visual medium. And so one of the things that Roy H. Williams talked about when he was teaching how to write radio commercials was he talked about something called FMI, first mental image. And he talked about thinking about what you write as a series of mental images. Don't think of it as audio. Think of what pictures are you painting? You take control of the movie projector in the listener's mind and you project an image on their mental movie screen. What images are you projecting? Think in those terms. Think of it in that way. And when you can bring that mental movie screen alive in, in their mind and get them to see things, that's always the goal. I mean, because if you're conveying information, whether it's journalism or it's something else, you're trying to take them someplace they are not or have not been. 
And so I want them to see what's happening. It's the same thing. A photographer goes out in the field and, you know, in a war zone and, and snaps pictures. Well, I'm doing this. I'm trying to bring them the picture of what's happening. So as much as I can, I want to paint those mental images, paint those pictures, let them see what's happening, let them feel what's going on. And then again, understand the, the, the question of, of why. But for, you know, for me, bringing, trying to bring any story to life is about the same thing that I think it is in podcasting of any form, which is activate the mental, you know, take control of the mental movie camera in the listener's mind and, and project interesting things on their mental movie screen. Because this is a visual medium. The, the quickest way to get anybody to get up and walk out of a movie theater is, you know, turn the projector off. But as long as you keep those images coming, they'll be engaged. Well, and one of the things I really, when I first found your podcast, one of your episodes had a great tip on it, and you you said it much better than I have in the past. And that is if somebody is spewing a bunch of concepts and they're just spewing and it's kind of like this and if this and that, and you said if you can somehow come up with a rock solid example for your audience to kind of latch into. Yeah, so there's a concept and I can't remember the author's name. Long, long time ago, a guy, uh, an American linguist, uh, Hazaka, H.A. Hazakawa, something like that. Anyway, he wrote a book years ago and he, he, he uh, came up with a concept that he called the ladder of abstractions. The way I explain it is this. If you think of a ladder and at the top of this ladder, we'll take a professor named Bob. So at the top of this, this ladder or at the bottom of this ladder, we'll say is, is Bob. He's the professor. He's real. He's in the room with us. He's got brown hair. He's got glasses. He's got a dress shirt on. We can poke him in the side. We can mess up his hair. Bob is real. Halfway up that ladder is Bob's title, which is, I don't know, professor of business administration. And then at the very top of the ladder of abstraction is just the concept of education. So at the bottom, we have something that's completely real. Bob, we can touch him. We can talk to him. We can mess up his hair. Middle of the ladder, it's not tangible, but it's at least specific. We've got you know, his title, which is specific and descriptive. He's the professor of business administration. And at the very top, we have something that's completely abstract. It's just conceptual, just the concept of education. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. You can't box it in. It's just completely abstract. So, you know, the longer that you have these abstract conversations that are just conceptual and they don't paint any pictures, again, we're not activating the listener's mental movie camera and their mental movie screen. We're not painting any pictures. The, the movie screen in their brain is gray because it's all abstract. It's all conceptual. So they have to struggle to hold their attention to it. They have to struggle to, to stay in there and try to wrap their brain around it and translate it into something that they can see and feel and touch. The longer we spend up that ladder of abstraction, the, the closer we are to, to losing the listener. So we want to stay down concrete, stay down a ladder of abstraction, use stories, examples, things that paint pictures metaphors. I mean, you know, all the great teachers go all the way back to Jesus. Everything was was parables. And, you know, that's the way the great teachers throughout history have taught visually with stories and metaphors and parables and concrete examples. Well, I love the fact that you you use the example of a ladder. So as you're saying that, I'm picturing the guy and the ladder. And at the top of the ladder is the word education. It's awesome. And that's, again, why I liked your show. And I was like, wow, this is really cool stuff. So thanks. I didn't invent that, but yeah, it is good. The ladder of abstraction is a a great one. (laughs) And so that got me interested in your show. And I forget how we kind of connected, but you had me on your show Mm -hmm. and we did this pre-interview. Like, does everybody, should we all do a pre-interview? Yeah, it, t- it depends on the type of interview that you're doing. So, you know, as, as a journalist, if I'm interview, if you're running for Congress, Dave, and I don't know if you have any plans to run for office. No. But uh, <laughs> when, you, when you run for office, 
if we do that kind of an interview, I'm not going to do a pre-interview for that because there's no sense in that because we're not on the same side. We're, if you're running for office and I'm interviewing you as a journalist, you, you and I are not buddies. You have your agenda and I have mine. You, you just want to stick to your talking points and make yourself look good, make your positions look good. I want to pin you down, take you off your talking points, make you talk, make you get into specifics. Yeah, the same could be true. Let's say if you have a tech podcast, normally you just talk to people who give advice. You know, maybe there's some controversy with Google or Facebook or something about privacy issues. And you land an interview with a Google executive, you know, about this, this controversy. You, you are then functioning, even though that's not normally the type of interview you do, you're then functioning as a journalist, as somebody that needs to get to the truth. You know, you, you don't want to be buddies with them. And so there's really no point in that instance of a pre-interview because there's nothing to talk about prior. But, you know, if you're doing a, you know, I think the two most common type of interviews in podcasting would be a profile interview. So if you have, you know, the the whole topic of the interview is the guest. It's like, you know, you're having them on to, to talk about their life. Maybe they're well known or, or maybe they're not. But, you know, the whole thing is you're having them on and you're going to talk about their life. And that's the whole topic of the interview. That's a profile interview. And I think pre-interviews, when you can get them, make a lot of sense there. And then if you do something that's like an advice based interview, which is what we're, which is what you and I do, Dave, with, with podcasting, we're teaching people how to get better at something. If you have a health podcast and you're teaching people how to lose weight or you're teaching people how to grow their garden or what, or improve their finances, whatever, it's an advice based podcast, then that makes sense as well. So in other words, when the host and the guest are on the same side, we have the same goal and, you know, we're on the same team pushing the same way, then, then I think pre-interviews make a lot of sense. Have you ever had somebody just out and out refuse? Like, oh, how dare you? <laughs> do, you, do you know who I am? I'm, I'm not going to do a pre-interview. No, nobody, nobody like, you know, a lot of times they'll just go, oh, well, I don't know if I don't have time for that or you know, just kind of get the brush off on it. You know, and in that case, I'll, I just do the pre-interview when I can't, when it's not possible, then I'll do the pre-interview during the same session. I'll just do some, ask some pre-interview questions, talk with them, and then we sort of launch in to the interview. Normally that's great. You know, every now and then I'll get a little bit of pushback where somebody's like, well, what are we doing here? Why, you know, almost like, why, why are you wasting my time? And I have to explain to them what we're doing and why I'm doing it, which is to get the best possible interview. And I, I had one guy who was an author. I started probing with him and talking to him in the pre-interview to, to figure out the best questions to ask. And I already had some stuff in mind. I'd done my research, but you know, I, I wanted to, to probe some more, make sure I'm getting at the best stuff. And he said, well, didn't you get that list of questions that my uh, secretary sent over? Oh, boy. <laughs> I said, yeah, I, yes, I appreciate that. But what I wanted to say was, dude, you got the wrong guy. If you want somebody to regurgitate the, the questions that you sent over for me to ask, that is not going to happen. But most of the time, you know, people are really amenable to it. So. And when you do the pre-interview, what's going through your head? What are you looking for? If it's a profile style interview, if it's a profile type of interview where the topic is the guest. So I've got Dave Jackson on, if I'm doing an interview with you and my whole, the whole point of the interview is to talk about the life of Dave Jackson or your career. And that's it. That's a, a strict profile interview. Then the one thing I'm doing when I'm going through a profile interview is I am, and a pre-interview is I am looking for stories. And the way I put it is I'm mining for gold. I'm digging for gold because stories are, are, are gold. When you talk about activating the mental movie camera, the movie screen inside the listener's mind, another key point is making people feel something. All of that happens in a good story. I mean, you've got, you're, you're activating the imagination of the listener. 
You're getting them to picture something. You're giving them something concrete that's down the ladder of abstraction that they can understand and they can grab. They're going to remember it. We Our brain stores memories and, and mental images. It's going to be more memorable. It, they're gold. Good stories are absolute gold. And so I, you're just mining for, you're mining for gold. I mean, anything that I can do to try to dig out a good story, whether it's profound or just a little funny one, I mean, they're all great. If it's a good story, I want it. And if it's an advice interview, is it just, you just want a sample of the advice so you then know how to ask the question or what's, how do you handle an advice interview? Is that any different for the pre-interview? Yeah. Well, and, and I also, by the way, even in an advice interview, which is when I, when I interviewed you, you know, that was an advice interview because I wanted to get advice from you on how to, you know, what are the most important things in podcasting success? What matters? What really doesn't? But at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm always going to talk to a person and try to, you know, find out a little bit about their past and, and still look for stories because I, I'm never, you know, I never want to pass up an opportunity to get a good story. So I, I will do that as well. So even if it's an advice interview, I'll still dig for stories, talk to them about their life, their career, and, you know, find out what's interesting, what great stories they might have to tell. And then after that, you know, the next thing is, you know, if it's an advice interview, again, it's the opposite of that journalism, political interview where you're kind of, that's not adversarial, but it's, you're not on the same side. You're not buddies. If you have somebody on your show, Dave, that let's say is, is an expert on building an email list and you want to talk to them about building an email list for your listening audience. And so the situation is they have this information that they want to give to your listeners. You want to give it to your listeners and your listeners want it. We're all on the same team. We're all on the same side. We're in this together. And so basically what happens is that when you get Sally, who's the email expert on your show, you're basically saying, hey, you know what? You got this information that I want to give to my listeners. My listeners want it. Why don't you and I team up together and we'll teach it to them? That's basically what's happening when you invite somebody to do a, you know, an interview, an advice based interview on your show. You know, so it makes sense then if you're going to team up to teach something. I mean, wouldn't you have a wouldn't you have a short meeting to say, OK, what, what do we want to do? How do we want to come at this? Yeah, that way you know where you're headed, what questions to ask, when to shut up and just listen, things of that nature. When you're mining for gold, that's one of the, I'm going to use your own uh, words here. That's a concept. Can you give me an example for people to latch on? Like, how do you, you don't just walk up, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Got any good stories? <laughs> I mean, how? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, well, that's why we do it on the pre-interview. It's, that's why I'm yeah. digging for stories. Yeah, I mean, there, there was uh, just yesterday I talked to, uh, uh, I think, a, a buddy of yours, Chris Curran, who yeah. the, uh, the podcast engineering school. So I found out he worked in the music business. So I started asking him questions about that. I'm like, so, you know, what's, uh, who were the most, dif- who was the most difficult person you ever had to work with? He's like, oh, Puff Daddy, Puffy, Sean Puffy Combs, whatever. He, he, he went by like six yeah. different names. So, <laughs> He tells me that, and, I was, and then he launches in. I tell him, so well, what happened with that? Why, how was that difficult? And he tells me a story about he's in the studio, sound engineering or assisting with somebody. And Sean Puffy Combs, famous rapper, he uh, blasts the speaker so, like as loud as it can go, and it blows out the speaker. Another one was a, uh, a business guy. He runs, I think it's called Social Rank Media, okay. and it's a guy by the name of Dr. Roche Khan. And I was doing an interview with him a while back about business and business strategy and success. But he's done a lot of uh, charity work down in uh, in Guyana, a very, very poor country in South America. And in fact, he wound up moving his company down there so he could be down there to do that charity work full time or nearly full time. 
And I asked him, I, so in the pre-interview, I, I wanted to find out about him. So I said, okay, you know, I'm digging for stories here and I'm thinking, okay, what's, what can I ask him to get to a story here? So I, I asked him, well, what's, what's the one moment, Roche, from your charity work that you'll never forget? And he told me about walking into this school in Guyana, grade school, and I think it's like, you know, dirt floors, really, really poor. And the kids all have pencils on strings tied around their neck. And he's wondering, that's kind of weird. Why do they have pencils tied around their neck? So he asks the teacher why they have them tied around their neck. And she says, well, at the beginning of the school year, they get one pencil. And if they lose it, they might not be able to get another one. Again, there's, there's that story that we could have just had an interview about business strategy and success. And I never would have gotten that story unless prior to the interview, I, I dug into what was important to him, what his life's about, what he does. And then I asked those questions about the memorable moments, the things you don't forget. What's, what's the most memorable moment of your career? What's the one time when blank happened? A lot of times you're looking for, you know, for good stories. You know, so what, what's one of the key elements in any good story is always conflict and challenge, right? I mean, so we've all heard about the, the movie plot, boy gets girl, boy loses girl boy gets girl back. Right. I've yet to see a movie yet where it's like, boy gets girl, the end. <laughs> I mean, that would just be boring. You know, so again, you're looking for the challenge. You're looking for the things that people overcome. You're looking for the conflict. You know, it's just why I went there with, with, with Chris Curran and, and asking him what's, what's the most difficult person that you ever had to deal with. I asked, you know, then I asked what's the most memorable moment from your days doing that. Sometimes I'll, I'll ask most people if what the biggest challenge they've ever had to overcome is in their career. So anyway, those, those are a few examples of these stories that in digging through, what are the conflicts? What are the challenges? What are the biggest, the hardest things you've done? You're asking those conflict and challenge questions, you wind up getting these uh, amazing stories from people. What happens if you're mining for gold and you just keep coming up with nothing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of the interviews that I've done with pre-interviews are advice interviews. And so... You know, for me, it, that makes it kind of simple to just say, okay, well, we won't spend much time there. We'll just get onto the meat and potatoes and, you know, the advice that we're going to give and just kind of turn the corner. I guess the bottom line of that is it depends on how you pick your guess. What are your thoughts on booking? Have you ever used a booking agent or been in that situation where somebody hands you a guess? I have not. No, no. It's always, yeah. it's always been direct for me. And that's the way I roll. I bring people on that I know will bring value. Now, that doesn't mean booking agents are bad. In fact, if you're using one and you're getting phenomenal guests, I would love to hear from you, schoolofpodcasting.com slash connect. But I'll give an example of how I found a guest for a future show. Gordon Firemark is an entertainment lawyer. He's been on the show in the past talking about how you can't play music in podcasts. And I put a Facebook post out that said, I'm amazed at how many people start a podcast and never Google the name of their podcast to see if anybody is using it. And people were kind of chiming in and somebody said, well, how do you even protect your name? And Gordon came on and said, Hey, trademark, blah, blah, blah. And that got the conversation even going and it really kind of heated up and people were really interested in it right there. People were interested in that subject. And I'm like, there's a good episode right there. So in the future, you will hear Gordon Firemark on this show. Why? Because he's going to bring value. So for me, that's how I roll. When you can bring value to my audience, then you can be on my show. Let's go back to Kent. Yeah, see, that's me. And I, I've had, I've been approached by people. You kind of mentioned how I have an interview coming up with the 
creator of PodCoin, and I'm not really sold on the service. And they sent me a list of questions, none of which were anything I would ask about. And I said, well, if I can ask them about their business plan and this and this and that, I said, I'd be happy to have him on the show. I said, but I'm not going to do a gotcha interview, but right now I'm a little skeptical and I want you guys to know that going in, they're like, this will be great. And I'm like, okay, send him on over. So that's one where uh, we're just going to take it as is. So that's similar to what I was saying about, and I call those cross table interviews because like, if you think the ones where like you and I are doing right now, we're on the same side. We're, we're both kind of in the same boat. We're trying to get to the same, you know, you know, trying to get information out to our audiences. And, you know, and, and so interviews like this, where you've got, where you're doing an advice interview, it's kind of like you can picture Oprah sitting on a sofa and there's somebody sitting next to her or it's at a slight angle and they're right there. But that's different from the cross table interview. Yeah, you're not adversarial or, or hostile towards them in any way, but you know, you're not, you're just trying to get the truth. You're trying to get to the truth about what their service is, whether it's good, whether it's not. And, um, you know, so that's, that's an example where there has to be a professional distance to it because it, which you told them right up front, Hey, listen, I'm not going to be your buddy here and promote it for you. I don't, I don't know enough about this product to endorse it. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to put it to the test here on the air. Are you good with that? How many interviews do you think you've done over the years? Oh man, I don't even know. Um, you know, I'm, there, there are plenty of people that have done a lot more. I mean, I haven't done that. I mean, it's in the hundreds. I don't, I don't beyond that. I couldn't guess. What, yeah. what do you think is your, I, I guess you can't say your worst unless you don't care about burning bridges, but what do you think is your best? What's the one that you're like, Oh, more gold. Oh, more gold. And just did anyone stand out? Mm, pick one. And while you think about that, I'm going to talk to the listener This is why in some cases, if you're going to ask a question like that, where they need to think, this is an example of a question that you need to give ahead of time. Like if I ask him what's his favorite book, I might want to give that to him ahead of time. So, uh, because otherwise he needs time to think, which is the the good news is that's probably means this is a good question. The bad news is I probably should have given it to you ahead of time. I need some Jeopardy music here. Some, uh, (laughs) we have cool jazz. We could do, you know. Here he, this is the thinking music time, so there you go. Handful now, you yeah. Go. All right, <laughs> love it, love it. One that comes to mind is, uh, I mean, and, and I'm not saying it's hands, you know, hands down the the best. I mean, there's been a number of people I've talked to that are great. I mean, just one that popped into my head immediately was Jesse Cole, who is the uh, the owner of the Savannah Bananas baseball team. Do you remember? Mm. Oh, that guy's awesome. Yeah, yeah. that you might remember. We saw we saw him. Uh, he showed up at Podfest a couple of years ago, and he wears a yellow tuxedo and a top hat everywhere he goes. He's incredibly passionate. He's all about doing things differently. And in fact, he wrote a, a book called Business Done Differently. Uh, at least I think that's the title of it, and that's uh, that's his podcast name. And uh, that's the title of his podcast. And he, that's what he's all about. He's about standing out, being different. He tells great stories. Did an interview with with him and got a story from him about proposing to uh, to his wife on a baseball field and fireworks going off and um, but anyway he was it was a lot of great information it was uh, all, all of it was good all of it was meaty and there were plenty of stories and he's energetic and and he was he was just a lot of fun to talk to. If somebody said what's the top tips of of a great interview, what would you tell them? You know, the top thing, and this goes back to working in, in advertising, radio advertising, is that, yeah, it's funny. People would write, you know, and turn on any radio station, you'll hear these commercials where we've been in business for 20 years. We have plenty of well-lit parking. We have friendly, knowledgeable staff. We know how to do this. We've been, this. nobody cares. 
you know, the, the first rule of advertising is why what you know, everybody listens to the same radio station, WIIFM, what's in it for me? And that's not to say that people are greedy or they're selfish. And it's, it's, you know, there are plenty of very generous people. That's not what I mean. But when it comes to listening to stuff, I mean, nobody's going to listen to you as a favor unless they're related to you. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the truth. So the, the first thing in an interview is why does the listener care? I mean, if it's got to be informed, it's got to be giving them information they care about, or it's got to be really interesting to them. It's got to be really entertaining to them. So you know, the first thing is understanding what the purpose of that interview is and, and what you're trying to accomplish for the listener. So if, if the purpose is we're going to tell some really funny stories with, with so-and-so, great. Now you know how you define success because you've just, you've figured out what your mission is for that episode, for that interview going in. If your mission is to, uh, as, as it was when, when you and I taught, when I interviewed you, Dave, is if the mission is to let listeners know what really does matter when it comes to podcasting success and what really doesn't, you know, what's the noise that you can just, you know, don't worry about that so much. If my definition of success there in that interview is getting to that concrete, critical information to succeed in podcasting, I have my mission clear. I, I know what it is going in. So, so then the purpose in the interview is to get to that information and to give it to people in a way that is easily digestible. So again, it's trying to stay out of the abstract, trying to bring it down, use concrete examples, try to get stories, but just give people something that they can really easily understand, hold in their hand, and then give them, you know, an actual, okay, here's what we want you to do with this information. You know, here's your, here's your action. I call it the challenging stage. Go do this, this, and this. Take this information. Now go do this with it. And again, if it's a profile interview and you're talking about somebody's life, then you, you know what you're trying to accomplish in that, in that interview is to really transport somebody into that person's life. You want them to, as they tell a story, you want them to feel what that person's feeling. You want them to see what they're seeing. You want to really take them through this person's life if that's the type of interview that you're doing. You know, in terms of how you, def you, know, how you define success, the first thing you have to do is define the mission, what you're trying to accomplish with that interview, and then you know what you're, what you're trying to get. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about Fastlane Podcast University. This is something I've started. And as a matter of fact, as we record this today, it's still in kind of what I would call soft launch um, as I've put up a few episodes and, um, you know, I'm still kind of feeling it out. I intentionally launched it the wrong way, which, you know, you're supposed to have a bunch of stuff in the can and launch with a whole bunch oh, of episodes. And that's right. <laughs> Have have your URL written in the sky with a plane and mm -hmm. pigeons and, you know, marching bands. Yeah. It's a whole nine yards. Yep. Yep. So I, uh, and I, I did, I just went and I just launched it and, uh, and went and said, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put it up as, uh, as the content is created. I'll just put it up. But I, I do, but that's kind of a soft launch phase for me in doing that because I do want to, you know, do want to be at a point here very, very soon where, Everything is uh, it's it's reliably on a weekly schedule and everybody. So that's that's going to happen very, very soon um, as I record this right now. But Fastlane Podcast University is, I mean, as, as the name would would suggest, it's you know about helping people understand how to podcast successfully. And it's a lot of what you do so well, Dave, I mean, with with the School of Podcasting. And um, and in some ways, it's kind of it's one of those things where you look at it and you go, well, man, there's there's already a person or persons doing it well. Is there even a need for me? But it's just a it's a passion for me to talk about this stuff. I love, you know, radio. I love communication. I love talking to people, just creating great content that's going to be interesting to people. 
you know, of course, even with, you know, with my show, with anything, I mean, it's a work in progress. It's hopefully gets better and better as time goes on. But, you know, my, my passion is to really inspire people and to help them figure out, okay, so here's your goal with your podcast. Here's what you're trying to accomplish, whether it's to advance your career or advance a cause or just to uh, create new connections around something you're passionate about. You know, how do we help you to use your podcast to get to your end goal? And what does it take to create good programming that people are actually going to want to hear? How does it, how do you connect with listeners? And, you know, how do you really, you know, take your podcast and and turn it into something that's going to achieve what you're after? And so that's what we're trying to do with Fastlane Podcast University. So right now it's been like four, we've got four episodes out as we record this in uh, early May. And we've got a lot more coming out. I have not yet, as of this date, published an interview. So uh, our interview with with uh, with you, Dave, and with uh, Chris and John Lee Dumas and some other guys, is that all that's coming out really soon. So I'm excited about that. What have you learned so far through your your soft launch that maybe you thought one thing and now you're thinking, hmm, or, or any any lessons so far just with your toe barely in the water here? Okay. Well, one, one thing that did become clear to me, yeah, is that, you know, you, you can start out with a, with a concept or with an idea of, you know, here's what I think there's a need for, or here's the type of show that oh, I think there's a, there's a place for this type of show or whatever. It, it also has to be in line with where your passion is and, and where your heart mm-hmm. is. And so I figured out actually after doing the first few shows, which were all solo voice, just me teaching, I figured out through that, I don't want to do this that much. You know, I'll do some, but I, I don't want this show to be primarily about me single voice teaching directly to the audience. I just like talking to people. I, I just enjoy the interviews. I just enjoy promoting what other people are doing that's already out there, that's already great. So it just became clear to me that what I wanted to do is, you know, create a show that networks a lot with other shows that presents and promotes what other people are doing that they're teaching well. I feel like that that's for me is more of a passion than my directly teaching to the audience. And that became clear to me through the first few shows that I did. And it's kind of helped to sort of, you know, chart the course for me going forward. I think my favorite example of the, just, you just kind of go, Oh, Oh yeah. Was uh, Natalie Ekdahl does a show called biz chicks and chicks is with an X. So C H I X. And she started off the whole first year was nothing but interviews. And then she was scared to death, but she started doing solo interviews or solo interviews. Yeah. That's where you talk. Well, I guess it is a solo interview. You're talking to yourself. And she said, it's interesting because when you do an interview show, you grow your network. And when you do a solo show, you grow your influence mm. because now it's just you talking to your audience. And so she always tries to do a, a mix of both. And I went, I like that answer because I think it's true. And that's what I try to do. When I find somebody interesting like you, I bring them on. And other times I am just dying to talk to the audience. So uh, I do want to thank you so much for coming on and helping us get a better understanding of how to do a, a pre-interview and wish you the best of luck. I know you're like, ah, this place seems kind of crowded. It's not. It, it's You have a completely different background than I do. We all have our, our strengths and our weaknesses and things like that. And, you know, to me, we're both here to help avoid, not that there's anything wrong with the three guys, one brain show, <laughs> but some, pe- some people need a little more help than others. And uh, you can find Kent over at fastlanepodcastu.com. Thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Yeah, you bet. And, and you know, I'll say this once when I told you this when you were on my show as well, Dave, but I honestly really have been blown away in the podcasting space when I've done some small business interviews and also in the podcasting space here with you and with others. Um, just 
I mean, the general feeling that I get from people is just, it really is that attitude of, hey, we're all in this together and uh, just some really incredibly nice and generous people of which you're one. And so, yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. I appreciate your encouragement uh, more than I can say. And I want to address something that Kent said there. So many people, I'm starting to see this where, well, I was going to start a podcast, but there's somebody else and they're just huge and I'll never, ever be able to compete with them. I'll never be as good as insert person name here. Well, that's kind of like picture somebody in junior high. They're all of 15. They're thinking of trying out for the high school football team. They're a quarterback, and they say, you know, I was going to go out and play football. I love football. I have a lot of fun. I love the team. I love everything about football. I love the competition, but I'm never going to be as good as Tom Brady, so I'm not going to start. Well, here's the thing. Tom Brady has been playing football since he was probably 16. And as I record this, Tom Brady in 2019 is 41 years old. And here's the thing. Tom Brady's not going to play football forever and will eventually retire. So if you start your podcast today in about 36 years, I figure when I'm 91 and I will have officially completed my 50th year in podcasting, I'll think about retiring. I'm not going anywhere. And let me read you a list here. And this is one of the things, and I don't want to like thump my chest here, but here's a list. Authority Engine, Podcasters Group Therapy, Podcasters Emporium, The Podcast Guy, Podcast Starter, Podcasting Passion, Power of Podcasting. That's actually mine. How to Make Podcasts Like a Pro, Podcasting Advisor, Art of Podcasting, Be a Better Podcaster, Podcasting with Purpose, Podcast Quick Tips, Start Talking and Recording Today, Your Podcast Questions Answered, Inside the Studio of the Podcaster, Podcast Dojo, Today in Podcasting, Mike Science, Podcasters Unplugged, The Talent Show, Podcast Roots, Podcast Answer Man, Pod to Pod. Now, what do all those podcasts have in common? And you might say, Dave, they sound like they're podcasts about podcasting, and that would be true. The other thing is they've all pod faded. And somebody had to pick up the slack when they left the space. And the easiest way to lose your audience is to quit. I didn't, again, try not to thump my chest too hard here. 14 years later, I'm still here. And so I'm here to tell you, again, I love this line from Zig Ziglar. You don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to be great. And in years, you could be the person, Joanna Penn of the Creative Pen Podcast. When she started, she didn't know a thing about publishing. That's why she started the podcast. She wanted to interview people about how to independently publish a book. And so she interviewed all these experts. Fast forward a decade later, she is now the expert on how to independently publish your book. You don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to be great. So don't let other people intimidate you. Focus on your passion. 
Focus on your strengths. We heard Kent talking about that today. And look, he's not saying he's never going to do a solo show. He just says, you know what? My strength is doing interviews. What do you love to do? What does your audience want to hear? Merge those two together. Put it in alignment with why. Why are you starting a podcast? And now you've got a recipe to work on. And I would love to help you with that. Go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. Use the coupon code listener. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R. And I would love to help you get going in the right direction. My next episode will be a mega episode. And I was waiting to interview Kent on pre-interviews so that I could do next week's episode, which will have every ounce of information that I've gleaned over my 14 years about doing podcast interviews and being a guest. It's all in one. It's going to be a mega episode. Get comfy, and you can subscribe at schoolofpodcasting.com slash subscribe and get it the minute it's available. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, class is dismissed. Take care, and God bless. What's the difference between, or I guess you say, see, this is again, edit point number two. What am I trying to ask you? So you, one of your, see, I still can't get it out of my mouth. (laughs) I can relate, man. No problem. No worries. Okay. Wackiest DJ name you've ever had. Oh, you know, I just, I was always boring. I just always went with my, uh, I just always went with my, my real name. You weren't like the badger or something or no, no, nothing, nothing interesting, (laughs) nothing interesting. And we're going to get into when do you do them? When are they not really made? What different types of interviews there are? That's easy for me to say.